This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Thursday afternoon to you. Very glad you could pop in to be part of the show here on the ABC right across Western Australia today. And through the hour today, going to be taking a look at the record prices for sheep, which obviously it's great news for producers, but they are causing a world of pain for the state's abattoirs. So just checking in, taking the pulse of that part of the supply chain after half past 12 today. Also, the news that New Zealand has announced it's going to be phasing out the export of livestock by sea within two years. Now, it's already uh, stopped the slaughter and feeder cattle exports. That was back in 2008. But now, over the next two years or so, it's going to phase out those dairy heifers that were shipped out of the country um, that's going to come to an end in the next two years Also, Details of that after half past 12, after the news headlines and checking in with the Bureau of Meteorology. Six past 12 on the Country Hour. And starting in the Kimberley today, because a pastoral family has been left gobsmacked after finding some of their cattle in a butchered state on the side of the road. Kurt Elizevich runs Country Downstation, which is about 100 kilometres north of Broome. He says he was shattered when he found out two of his animals had been shot, one of them blinded by a gunshot wound. Obviously, the, the reason for this is some pretty confronting stuff we had to deal with on Sunday morning. We were actually contacted by the main roads works crew that were uh, working on the road south of our front gate. They contacted me in a reasonably distressed state themselves um, that there was one of our animals had been butchered on the side of the road and there was another one standing there in great distress, uh, had been shot and grievously wounded and left to suffer. And that has to be a really horrible phone call for you. And is it your wife, Nikki? Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I had to drive down there and put the animal down as humanely as possible. So you've contacted police now and they've mentioned that it's not the first time this has happened to you. How often does this seem to sort of come around? Does it come in waves of people coming onto your property and shooting? Uh, It does a bit. Every year we seem to have a few issues, but I think this year particularly with the new Cape Levique Road being upgraded to Bitumen, there's a lot more traffic and vehicles are travelling faster and there's actually more water in the vicinity of the road which draws animals of all description. So there is more interaction with livestock and and humans, which we strenuously try to avoid. Our entire frontage of the Cape Peak Road is fenced at great cost. And, you know, it's a constant thing to have to maintain that fencing during the wet season because when you get a, a storm come through tree will go over the fence and you may not find out for a week and it only takes an hour for a number of animals to get out. Once they're out this time of year there's all sorts of surface water so it's a very difficult job to try to get them back in and um, we rely on the forbearance of the public to a degree in that it is the Kimberley and and it is cattle station country and there are signs that warn you that there's animals on the road and um 
you know, people are pretty good about it. And there's just been more recently that people are taking it upon themselves to shoot them. And I understand that in Western Australia it's a criminal offence to go onto someone's property and shoot without their express permission. Is that something you've done in the past? Have you allowed people to come on and um, sort of take their animals themselves? No, never, mate. Um, We've been here for 17 years and that's never been part of our um, operation at all. Mm -hmm. So that's not something, there's no way anyone could get their wires crossed on that one. Um, And if someone's listening today who may have seen something, what do you urge them to do at the minute? Please contact the police. This is appalling behaviour that I don't think anyone in the community would um, would consider to be acceptable. And the other thing you need to bear in mind is that we're, we're talking about intoxicated people with high-powered rifles roaming the highway and firing willy-nilly because, let me tell you, the shooting wasn't very accurate. Mm. You know, do you want that sort of thing going on while you're driving down that road with your family coming back from a fishing trip or something? Uh, my wife was put in a very confronting situation a few weeks back. It was only about 10 kilometres down from our front gate and she came upon a couple with their children slaughtering one of our cows on the side of the road and they told her that it wasn't a crime and basically that um, she should move on and uh, she was feeling quite threatened by their behaviour and confused by it all and left regrettably without getting photographs but, you know, only when you've been put in a situation like that can you understand just how confronting it is, particularly when you're talking about, in this case, yes, it is our livestock and it's the death of a thousand cuts, mate. I mean, I, I shudder to think, you know, how many animals we've lost over the years. But um, it's, it's never been acceptable. You know, the, the hard thing is that, you know, police are relatively under-resourced in this part of the world and people think that they're outside the law and I think that what, what we're appealing from the community is that, people will stand up and say, no, this is not acceptable. Kurt Elizovich from Country Down Station in the Kimberley speaking to Hannah Barry. And police are asking you if you do have any dash cam footage of the shootings to get in touch with them. And Country Downs is also offering a $1,000 reward for any information regarding trespasses and the stock theft. You can read more of this story online. Just search cattle killed Country Downs. And it'll pop up in your first search. 11 past 12. I'm Bevan Eats from Manjimup, and you're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio WA. The Margaret River Wine Association is begging the state government to find a new quarantine hotel for a charter flight of seasonal workers from Tonga due to arrive in Perth late next month. As you heard here on the Country Hour yesterday, WA's Chief Health Officer has already knocked back approvals for a charter flight of 150 Ni Vanuatu workers bound for Perth on the 7th of May. The reason is there's not enough hotel quarantine room for the workers on that flight with all the Australians returning home from overseas. Margaret River Wine Association President Amanda Whiteland says one flight has already been lost and the industry cannot afford to have another one cancelled simply because the government can't find alternative accommodation. They're essential workers um, for the critical vineyard work here in Margaret River over the upcoming pruning season, which commences in June. So there's 84 workers from Tonga who are planned to be on 
on a flight next month. So, yeah, it's a real blow for the, the Margaret River Wine uh, region if those workers aren't able to get quarantining here in, in West Australia and obviously then come down and, and, and work the three or four months pruning season that we have coming up. What's at stake if these 80-plus workers don't make it on that flight from Tonga? Well, as we all know, there's labour shortages all over the country at the moment, so it is really hard to, to secure our workers. And obviously the Commonwealth Seasonal Workers Program is one of our lifelines. Other states around Australia are supporting quarantine for people to come in under that program. So I guess it just makes West Australia... Uh, wine regions less competitive puts us behind in really securing workers for that essential vineyard work that's coming up later this year. In terms of output, will those you know will those grapes not end up being pruned and picked if these workers don't come through? Yeah, well, they really are essential workers. Uh, it's, a, it's a central part of the vineyard season to prune your vines. So. Yeah, they very much um, support the region and we haven't done the numbers on what, what that would actually mean. But, yeah, it's something that we really hope that the WA government will re- reconsider. Um, I believe the 19th of April is when we need confirmation um, to get, get those workers on the next chartered flight. So we'll just, I guess, beg the state government to try and, and, and find another hotel, quarantine hotel, to or increase the capacity to accommodate these workers. What's the answer? There has been a bit about talk about uh, quarantining people on farm. Would this be a solution or is there something else you think that would solve the issue? Yeah, look, we've, we've successfully, there's been successful, I think four flights have already arrived since December with um, no COVID outbreaks. So um, I think it's just going back to, to what we were doing. Um, there seems to be a change where the WA government um, at the moment doesn't want to accommodate the seasonal workers in that capacity, but um, it was working. So if we could find another hotel or another location where um, they could be quarantined, that, that seems like a, a quite a good solution. Would this be in Perth or would there be venues in Margaret River that would put their hands up? There's obviously the resources in Perth. They've got the programs in place, so it would make sense to continue doing it as it has been working. How do you see the government's handling of this situation? Oh, look, I think everyone very much appreciates the work that's been done by um, government to keep West Australians COVID safe, but we have had a seamless history of bringing in Pacific workers in since December. So, yeah, we just hope that they can reconsider the decision and go back to how it was working before with the, the quarantine arrangements for seasonal workers. Margaret River Wine Association President Amanda Whiteland with Jackie Lynch. Quarter past 12. Agriculture Minister Alana McTiernan says new laws and standards for hotel quarantine means the accommodation that was earmarked for seasonal workers has now had to be reallocated to those returning Australians. She says the government is looking at other options. We are working extremely hard trying to now find an alternative. Now, we haven't been able to get that alternative up and running in time for that 7 May flight. We're open to looking longer term at new options, but I do think it's important to understand that there are still risks associated with bringing in these specific workers. Now, we've been talking with the Chief Health Officer. They are understanding that the risk profile is different for some people returning Australians from the US or from India, that we are talking about a different risk profile. So we are trying to work through how we could have um, hotel facilities, whether they 
in Perth or in regions that are of uh, not the same standard as the other chic hotels. Elena McTiernan, and the government does need to approve this flight that's due at the end of next month by the 19th of April. I think that's Monday, so just a few days away anyway from finding out if this flight from Tonga is actually going to happen. Peter Rundle is the Nationals MP for the seat of Roe and says the government needs to find a solution. I'm really concerned that we've got an opportunity here and we're going to uh, miss out on much-wanted workers. What needs to be done to allow these workers into WA to help with the worker shortages? Well, I think the first thing that needs to be done is the state government needs to take their foot off the hose. I understand that the state government has got the ability to um, obviously quarantine these workers and I think that's an important part. Uh, My understanding is that the Chief Health Officer briefed some of our members last week and they have got the ability to go over the capped limit but obviously they need to make sure that the um, hotel quarantine situation is handled properly. How would you fix this problem though? Where would you put these workers? I would be looking at potentially maybe another hotel quarantine arrangement. Member for Rowe, Nationals MP, Peter Rundle with Jackie Lynch. 18 past 12. Well, the cancellation of one charter flight of seasonal workers and that uncertainty over another one due late next month is also a blow for business in the north of the state about to head into the peak time for horticulture and tourism. David Menzel is the president of the Shire of Wyndham and East Kimberley. He says the uncertainty around access to additional seasonal workers could not have come at a worse time. It's really quite disappointing to be a, you know, a year and a bit into this and we still don't seem to have systems in place. So, yeah, really disappointed. There's no surprises. These people are all booked and This was all organised and you would hope we had the capacity to do some planning around that. I recognise that it's not easy, but we have had these problems for a year now and and you would really expect that we'd be able to deal with this. The quarantine facility is one way of getting them in and there was also last year there was quite a bit of on-farm quarantining done, putting people in isolation. We're not bringing in ill people so the risk is you know something that people smarter than I have to look at but really they're fairly low risk and it's just maintaining that isolation for the incubation period and uh, not exposing the rest of the community to that smaller risk so yeah I think there's probably a way through it if we really wanted to. It's not only the farming industry certainly in our shire and I'm well aware across into the West Kimberley as well they're talking about a couple of hundred positions vacant in the West Kimberley and I know we've got definitely a lot more than that in the East Kimberley. So, we're, yeah, we're really up against it for this season. And in terms of timing, David, how critical is the timing of these seasonal worker flights in terms of the start of horticulture seasons here in the Ord? Yeah, the crops are flowering now, the early crops and watermelons and, and rock melons are, are starting to flower. Most of the products perishable, highly perishable. So if we don't have the staff on the day or the next day, that product is waste. It gets left in the field or thrown in the waste bin. So it's absolutely critical that we have staff on time. Crops are growing, people are planting. We continually plant for four months or so here and we're planting at present. So the crops are growing and 
it's pretty hard to slow them down just because the plane's been delayed. So we've got a, a very short window to start getting some of these issues sorted out. Do you think farmers listening to this news will start uh, calling for the government to make some changes to the way the seasonal program is set up and, and in terms of uh, allowing farms who do have the capacity to do unfarm quarantine to do so? I would certainly hope we can work through that as a potential solution to some of the problems the state's facing handling returned citizens and people trying to get into the country. So I think that would be a very obvious way to potentially solve some of these issues. It's just adding up. You know, there was arrangements in place for extending visas last year and there was probably still a pool of people around, but it's all one-way traffic at the moment. All the backpacker visa holders are, you know, they've probably had an extension and they're on their way home now and we're just not getting anyone in. So I, I can only see things getting tougher over the next year or so and residents here are pretty stressed out particularly business owners dealing with everything that happened last year was hard enough but this just doesn't seem to be an end in sight at the moment I think it's really taking a a mental toll on people in our community and it's pretty sad to see. Shire of Wyndham and East Kimberley President and Kununurra Farmer David Menzel speaking with Courtney Fowler. Following two weeks of quarantine in Perth, there is a group of seasonal workers that are set to reach the Kimberley at the end of this week, so by tomorrow, after arriving on a previous flight from Vanuatu on the 1st of April. Now, their arrival will obviously offer some relief to farms in the Ord, but as you just heard, the uncertainty around access to additional seasonal workers is a huge concern for businesses right across the region. You can read more of the story. It's online for you now. Search seasonal worker flight concern, seasonal worker flight concern, and you will find the story. And to make it even easier, there is a link to the story on the ABC's Rural Facebook page. 23 past 12, an update from the newsroom not too far away at half past 12, and then it's off to the Bureau of Meteorology to check conditions right around Western Australia. First, though, as the cleanup continues post-tropical cyclone Saroja, one of the big worries for some farmers is water. Some farms still don't have power, so they could soon be struggling to get hold of water for livestock and also for spraying. Helene McTaggart farms grain and cattle near Minganew, about 380 kilometres north of Perth. She's worried about their water supplies. I guess the thing is that there's no um, firm understanding of when we might get power back. There's 170 kilometres of rural properties that um, rely on what's called the Yarragadee Water Corp system, which is up here on the Yarragadee West Road, which is also reliant on mains powers to pump. Um, That is a quarter of a tank full at the moment, so we would really like to see Water Corp get a emergency generator out there because that services all the way to Mullawar down to Yananooka, Colseam Road, Mullawar Road and we're reliant on it now that we don't have mains powers to our own bores for our stock watering and also to be able to get started on our seeding program. With that tank the levels are getting a bit lower on that if that continues and there's not a generator put there what's the consequence? 
Well, I'm no water expert, <laughs> okay. but uh, I think once the tank run, runs dry, it, it stops providing pressure and um, it means we will, we will run out of water. So I think there is some dams that have been replenished by that. In, in our case, our dams that have got water in them, they are not the ones with the feed around them. So we kind of are in a catch-22 situation there. So really, we need that water supply to be working so that we can keep watering our, our cattle. So we've got, um, from a stock perspective, but then also spraying, people wanting to go seeding, that water's essential there as well? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, without um, unless you've got a, a solar bore um, on your property, which there's a few landholders that do, we don't um, have that. So our um, other water supply, which is our private bore, is run by mains power. Um, so unless we can somehow source a large generator to get that going, um, we are entirely reliant on the water court system. Helen E. McTaggart with Joe Prendergast. And calls have been made to the water court for some more information for you about these rural water concerns. As you can imagine, the corporation is very busy at the moment, so no one was available to talk to you right now. But uh, you will hear that update on the ABC when that does come through. Well, the McTaggarts aren't the only ones with these water concerns. Nils Hay is the CEO of the Shire of Minganew, and he's already had the chance to raise the issue with the Water Corp. Our rural supply is, I guess, less of a priority for Water Corp. It's non-potable, but it still services something like 100 properties, which is both people but also quite a lot of stock. And we're, I guess, concerned about how that will fare in the coming days as people start to run out of water on their properties. And I suppose that's an area where we've been talking a lot to DFES and um, some of our local politicians about what we can do to try to lift the the profile of, of that need there. Can you just explain how that water system works and the generators that are involved in that? So I'm not an expert, but effectively there's a number of pumps involved. I think there's four pumps involved, which means that you require four generators working in concert and it's over 100 kilometres worth of water line and tanks and pipes and all sorts of infrastructure there. So I guess it's, it's not an easy job by any stretch, but obviously in terms of those people and, and their stock and their sheep and things, it's, it's a very important one. Yeah, that's essential water for livestock, for spraying. It, does it start to become a welfare issue? Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, we've got some crew with the Ming and Irwin group going out today to meet with landholders and basically do those welfare checks on farm properties. And one of the key questions that they're going to be asking is, what are your water supplies like if you've got stock? How long can you last? And what assistance do you need? And I'm aware that DeepHerd have animal welfare teams in place and we're going to feed that information back to them if, if it does become something that needs to be escalated there. How concerned about it are you? Moderately. It's hard to know at this stage exactly what other resources are coming into the region at present. I mean, I'm aware that all of the agencies like Telstra, Water Corp, Western Power are being hammered by people like me and numerous others and are working very hard to try and get services back online. Um, So for all I know, there could be a whole lot of resources coming in that I'm not aware of. And, you know, having here in Minganew, like my only comms at the moment is this sat phone, which is moderately effective. So I'm, I'm not sure what's, what's happening and what's coming down the pipeline in that regard. There could, and I believe there are still more resources coming into region to help with that. And obviously the SES um, crew who we just saw coming up the road there, a number of them are coming in from the eastern states, which is fantastic. And we're really grateful for that. And so there's obviously resources starting to come in from all over the place now to, to help people out. I noticed the bakery was open today, which is great, so people can get a feed. What about fuel? 
Fuel's a bit more of a challenge. It is great that the bakery's open at least, but unfortunately fuel, like a lot of things, requires both power and communications. Because we don't have manned fuel sites in town, you pay with a card, so you need to have comms up and running. And because we don't have that at the moment, we're in talks with our fuel suppliers about whether they're able to bring a truck into town so that people can at least come and pay for fuel with cash. But obviously that's a challenge as well because not a lot of people carry a lot of cash and fuel is obviously not terribly cheap. You know, not many people are walking around with hundreds of dollars if they need to fill up a big tank of fuel or anything like that. We're fortunate that some of the surrounding towns are starting to come back online. So I believe Morrowa and Karnamar and Dongra are all accessible now and you can purchase fuel there. But if you're in town and you don't have much fuel to begin with, getting there is, is quite challenging. But apart from the winds, Neil, Saroja also brought rain to this region. Talking to some of the farmers, that's allowing them to start seeding. Is that given the community a bit of a bolster, do you think? Look, I think it's certainly better than just having the wind. You know, we have had a reasonable amount of rain, and as you say, people are seeding. Unfortunately, some people have lost sheds and silos and machinery, which will make that process more difficult. But certainly having that rain is welcome in that respect. And I guess the other positive for us is it is a, a good precursor to a good wildflower season. So obviously um, our tourism season is very important to us here. And while it's still a few months away, you know, by then I expect everything will be at least on the way to being rebuilt. I'm expecting we'll have trouble getting contractors for everything in the next few months, but certainly come wildflower season, Ming and you will be very much open for business. And so that's really good that we've had that weather and we might get a good wildflower season out of it. I guess, you know, it's trying to find the silver linings in all of this, but um, that's, that's certainly one of them. Minganew Shire CEO Nils Hay speaking to Joe Prendergast. And speaking of the fuel situation, obviously it's challenging at the moment, as Nils was just explaining to you. Um, you know, not everyone carries around hundreds of dollars of cash to fuel up and the comms systems are down, so you can't just pay pass or credit card. And also roads, still some trouble on the road, so getting around is difficult and getting the fuel to the stations. So just on that point... This text through saying, can you please let everyone know Dongora BP is out of unleaded fuel? But a little follow-up to that, it is being filled up now. So the tanker has arrived at that particular spot and there should be some unleaded fuel available for you very soon. Also, just on the water situation, the possibility of running out of water for livestock and spraying, gee darn, they'll have to cart water like the rest of us. From a great southern farmer, thank you for that. And this from Mike regarding the Midwest water issue. Why is it that people have to complain on radio when issues need addressing? Government departments need to get on with things instead of fluffing around. Thank you for that, Mike. Uh, Just before the news headlines, just wanted to give you an update on the port situation. Obviously, some of the ports have been battered by XTC Saroja. Winds of up to 120 kilometres an hour an additional metre of storm surge and lots of rain. Damien Tully is acting CEO of the Geraldton Midwest Ports Authority and says everything held up pretty well, so he hopes they'll be back on track, back up and running later today. Yes, so we've looked uh, throughout our structures. The main damage that we did sustain was uh, on our breakwaters, uh, just due to the force of the the waves and swell. Um, So we're looking at getting those repaired. Everything else fared relatively well across the port and we really just have, have been waiting for the power to come back on so that we could make our mechanical and electrical assessments. So when do you expect the port to reopen? So we're, we're expecting our first ship to be coming into the port this afternoon. And will that be a grain ship or an iron ore ship? 
Uh, it's likely to be an iron ore ship, uh, and then we'll have the next ship that we should see following it tomorrow will be a diesel ship. Our role is really to get the port up and running so that our customers like CBH can start exporting as soon as possible. I do note there's many, many ships out there at the moment. Are they all coming to Jordan, or some of them on their way to Perth? No, 15 ships out there at the moment, so it's a, it's a bit of a bit of a large number. Yes. Uh, all those ships are, will be coming into the port. Uh, they're there uh, essentially assembling cargo ashore, so that then they'll um, start the process. So again. with no damage, there shouldn't be any export that'll be curtailed for any period, any more than normal than the, the period that you've been shut down because of the power? No, we expect that we'll just uh, be in a normal shipping operation um, mode as soon as uh, we get the ships in. Damien Tully is the acting CEO of the Geraldton Midwest Ports Authority, speaking to Glenn Barnden. And at half past one, so in about an hour... The Premier, Mark McGowan, will provide an update on recovery efforts following ex-tropical cyclone Saroja. He'll be there with Emergency Services Minister Rhys Whitby, State Emergency Coordinator Chris Dawson and Fire and Emergency Services Commissioner Darren Clem. This is The Country Hour on ABC right across Western Australia. 27 to 1 and Jonathan Hopper is here with an update from the newsroom. Good afternoon, Belinda. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has announced Australia will withdraw all its remaining troops in Afghanistan by September. Australia has about 80 Australian Defence Force personnel still serving in the Middle Eastern country. Today's announcement comes after the US President Joe Biden said the United States would withdraw its forces by September. More than 39,000 Australians were deployed and 40 were killed during the decades-long conflict. The WA Health Department has recorded one new case of COVID-19 overnight. The case involves a man in his 40s who is an overseas traveller in hotel quarantine. Yesterday, almost 1,600 people received a vaccination in WA, bringing the total number of vaccinations in the state to over 72,000. And New South Wales is in trouble on day one of the Sheffield Shield cricket final against Queensland in Brisbane. The Blues have collapsed to be 8 for 123 in their first innings at T, Curtis Patterson top scored with 43. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for the update, Jonathan. Appreciate that. 25 to 1. You're with Belinda Varischetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio, WA. Great to have you along this afternoon. Still to come between now and the news at one, how the state's processes, the abattoirs, are dealing with the record prices for sheep. Also, New Zealand decides to phase out live exports by sea within two years. And then it's off to Mount Barker just before the news at one o'clock for a wrap of the cattle market. Right now, off to the Bureau of Meteorology. Luke Huntington, how's it looking around northern and eastern parts of the state? Yeah, hey, Belinda. Um, today we're just going for some uh, isolated showers and thunderstorms uh, near the Kimberley Coast, uh, just over the southern and western Pilbara, the far northeastern Gascoyne and the south interior. Um, but there shouldn't be too much in it today. And uh, heading into tomorrow, uh, it looks like those thunderstorms will clear out. So pretty much fine throughout the northern half of the state uh, tomorrow. Um, the main feature would be some uh, gusty easterly winds during the morning period, just with a ridge strength strengthening over southern parts of the state. And that's really much the same story for the next few days after that, um, through the weekend into early next week. Uh, we'll see those windy conditions uh, over the weekend, but it uh, looks like they will ease off uh, from the Monday period as the ridge weakens. And um, yes, yeah, not, not too much going on in the north other than that. Well, let's move further south into the southwest land division. What can you say, Luke? 
Yeah, at the moment, uh, we, as I said, we do have that ridge over southern parts of the state. So um, some onshore flows just producing a few light showers along the south coast at the moment. Uh, that should contract eastwards uh, during tomorrow. So any shower activity will be mostly confined to the Euclid coast. And that'll be sort of during the morning period. And that'll clear away by Saturday. So we'll see pretty much fine conditions throughout the southwest land division uh, over the weekend. Uh, we will see just a trough develop off the coast, so some slightly warmer temperatures over the west coast, sort of into the mid to high uh, 20s, uh, before that trough does move inland on the Monday uh, period. And we'll see just a weak cold front move up during the day, so we will see an increase in showers again just along that south coast between Augusta and Israelite Bay there. And uh, pretty much the same for the, ne- for the next seven days, basically, um, from Monday. So just those showers near the south coast, but otherwise throughout the southwest land division, it looks pretty much um, all very quiet for the next seven days. So it's quite a big change to see t- to what we've been having. It certainly is in terms of the lead up to last weekend, quite a different situation this time round. Are there any warnings this afternoon, Luke? Uh, so we just got that strong wind warning up on the Kimberley and the Pilbara coast uh, for tomorrow morning, just with those gusty uh, east-south-easterly winds. Great. Thank you for the wrap. Appreciate that. 22 to 1. Well, when there was a job to be done earlier in the week after the cyclone Saroja went through and I think there was about 10 or 12 minutes of rainfall figures to read, he was nowhere in sight. But today, when there's hardly any rainfall around the state... Here he is, Richard Hudson. There was a job to be done at Rottnest, I can tell you, and I did it very well. In the last 24 hours, nothing recorded in the Kimberley, but in the Pilbara district, Coolawanya had 12, Indy 10, Karajini North 16, Karratha Airport 7, Marty and Mount Florence 26 mils, and Sherlock recorded 20. Uh, nothing in the Gascoigne. In the interior, the most was Warburton with two. Nothing in the Goldfields or Euclid districts. Out on the islands, uh, Varanus Island had the most with three. And then in the southwest Land Division forecast districts, nothing at all in the central west. Nothing above Dew in the lower west. In the southwest, the most was two mils. And then in the southern coastal region, Albany had five, Bremer Bay seven, Shane Beach nine, Hopeton North had six. And then in the central wheat belt, nothing above 0.2 of a mil. And in the Great Southern, yeah, the same, about half a mil is the most. Thank you for that, Richard. 21 to 1. Record prices for sheep might be great news for producers, but they are causing a world of pain for the state's abattoirs. Processors are finding it increasingly difficult to source stock amid insatiable demand from East Coast buyers looking to rebuild their flocks. Added to this, WA's own sheep flock has been dwindling for years thanks to declining rainfall. Craig Hegerton chairs WAMCO, the Western Australian Meat Marketing Cooperative, and says the processors will just have to grin and bear these tough market conditions for a little while. This was always predicted to happen, especially with the shortage of water, which has caused a lot of people to reduce flock numbers and some people to even get out of sheep numbers. And the good season they've had in the eastern states over the last 12 to oh, nearly running to 18 months now I've seen a huge exodus of sheep into that area from, from Western Australia so it was predicted and the next few months are going to be very tough for the processing industry defining sheep to slaughter So just, just to give a sense, of, a sense of perspective, how tight is supply? Well yeah all the processors are battling for a very limited supply at the moment and it's only going to get worse the next few months, probably the next three to four months before some spring lambs come up 
you know, onto the market, uh, it's going to be very tight. Everyone's going to battle for the limited numbers there are available, and yeah, some prices are already cutting back on uh, days' work, and some of yeah, some will close their doors for a bit of an extended period over the winter winter recess, uh, and others will battle on and you know have to pay you know very good money to get what stock there is available. Wamco is only part of the picture, but it's a significant part of the picture. What is it doing in response to the situation? Well, there's very little we can actually do, Dan. It's uh, it's a matter of just buttoning down the hatches and tightening the belt and getting hold of what stock we can to supply our key markets. Those markets have taken a long time to develop and you know we might have to just run at a loss for a fair while to supply those markets so that they, they stay with us long term. That's the, that's the critical key. Which markets uh, are those in particular? Oh, especially the North American market. That's our jewel on the crown for us that we've got to involved in the co-op with the three big New Zealand processes and we've got a very big footprint in the especially in the retail industry in North America. Uh, yeah, and other key clients that we've got in the Middle East, Southeast Asia, and, and some in Europe. We've just got to you know, look after our, our best-paying customers that are prepared to meet the price. So are you having to pair back operations at all? Or, for example, I mean, plants often close down for routine maintenance once a year. Are you going to be doing that and extending it, for example? Uh, at this stage, it's a bit hard to tell. We're still we're still travelling okay at the moment. Um, we've got you know a lot of loyal uh, producers. Um, they're part of a cooperative. They're, they they own the business. They're getting very good rebates, and we're paying very good money. So we've developed a very good loyalty from our, from our producers over a number of years now, and uh, and it's standing us in quite good stead at the moment. Who knows what's going to come over the next three months? But at the moment, yeah, we're travelling okay. Admittedly, there's only so much you can say before it becomes commercial and confidence, but what's the gap right now then between what the market is demanding you pay and what's break-even? Horses for horses. Some some of our customers can't are finding it difficult to meet prices that we're charging for meat, and others are. But the product's going to get harder and harder to get over the next three months because, you know, limited supply, so it's, it's going to get more and more expensive to, to, to procure that product, and the processors are going to be, you know, digging deep into their pockets to try and secure, secure market share. Sort of looking at it from the other end of the chain, though, what are you paying for sheep at the moment on average, and what's a, a break-even rate? Well, mutton, we're paying around the $6 mark, um, and there's a lot of mutton being sold for a bit more than $6 in the market in the in the auction place at the moment. And lambs, we've, we've put out contracts for April, May and June, going up to about $7.80 a kilogram. Yeah, there is some in the auction place that are maybe making more than that, but long term, it's a, it's a very difficult situation. We can, we're still supplying customers with that product at that price, but uh, there is some pullback from their end and uh, some of them are finding it a bit difficult. What's your capacity to take a loss, though? You said you might have to accept losses for a little while just to ensure that you're <laughs> serving your customers, but, I mean, that's, a, that's, that's a, a tough spot to be in, isn't it? Most people in the process industry know what taking a loss is all about. I think, Dan, it's, uh, it's part and parcel of the, of, the, of the process. We make a bit of money in the spring and we pay a bit of that back in the autumn. The cattle industry at the moment is Australia-wide. We've got, Australia's reputedly got the world's most expensive beef at the moment. And there's a story around the beef processing industry that producers are losing between $1 and $2 for every beast they kill. So people can only do that for so long. But we've got, we've got a very good customer base and we've got a very good producer base that are supplying products. So 
I think we'll be hanging there as well as anyone. Rightio. Now, it has rained a fair bit, obviously, in the first few months of this year. Are farmers going to now be holding on to stock that they might have otherwise looked to sell? Yeah, that certainly is the case, which is which is really good news for the long term. You know, maybe a short term bit of pressure, but we'd much rather see that situation for the, for the long term sustainability of the industry. Um, the flock needs to rebuild, so the rain is fantastic from everyone's point of view, and including you know our long term outlook. WAMCO Chairman Craig Hegerton speaking to Daniel Mercer. Quarter to one. And as Craig Hegerton just touched on at the end there, some cattle processors are also struggling to make a profit at the moment. And that's because Australia's cattle slaughter rate has hit a 20-year low due to the fact the national cattle herd is in a rebuild phase. To explain that in a little more detail is Managing Director of Meat and Livestock Australia, Jason Strong. We should have concern across the supply chain if there's any sector which is significantly challenged from a profit point of view because we need a sustainable uh, supply chain for for everybody in the process to be successful long term. So processors were uh, in a a really good position during the the drought years where we had a significant increase in numbers uh, being turned off. Uh, But we also had growing global demand at the same time. So prices held up extremely well during the drought. We had high turnoff and still quite good prices through the drought years of 2018-19. So that provided a a better position for producers than what we might have said in uh, in a normal environment, but a normal drought environment. But as we've come out the back of that, the global demand's maintained and the numbers have dropped off significantly. So we've now got these prices at levels that we've we've never seen before. So I think the challenge, because that's not going to, to change any time soon, so I think the challenge is how do we you know, work along the supply chain to make sure we're turning off livestock which are meeting processor and customer expectations and demand so that we can capture as much value as possible downstream to, to uh, you know, reflect the, the value of livestock going into the system. Can you give me some sort of figures that might put that in context? When we look at our output side, you know, we're looking at our exports being down 20% or close to 20%. We've got a significant reduction in our turnoff, and as a result of that, a significant reduction in our in our output as as well. So that certainly has a, a big impact on available livestock for the for the processes. So, what impact does this have, though, on uh, the processes and I suppose the rest of the cattle industry? So there's a couple of things which also then uh, compound because we have not only do we have lower uh, numbers coming through, but we also have very high prices, and I think what that does for for the the processes makes it makes it very difficult from a uh, from a profitability point of view. So reducing the throughput in the plant increases the overhead cost, and having the higher uh, expense on on livestock purchasing, which is one of the largest expenses, certainly makes it a challenging. The fortunate thing, though, is we have uh, you know, global demand, which is at uh, levels which are as high as we've seen because of you know, reduction in global supply. And even though there's been some disruption from the pandemic, there's been this increase in affluence globally as well. So there's a whole range of things uh, that are contributing to you know, some of the disruption in the, the, the turnoff and processing sector. Meat and Livestock Australia Managing Director Jason Strong with Lucas Forbes. 12 to 1. Off to Mount Barker shortly for the results of the Mount Barker cattle market. Tracy Kilner going through yarding and prices for you. First, though, New Zealand has announced it's going to phase out the export of livestock by sea, 
within two years. More than 90,000 dairy heifers were shipped from New Zealand to China last year, although the trade was suspended in September after the Gulf Livestock One, carrying 53 crew and 6,000 cattle sank in waters southwest of Japan. Now, New Zealand did ban slaughter and feeder cattle exports back in 2008, but has continued to allow the export of livestock for breeding or milk production purposes. But, of course, that's about to change. Here's New Zealand Minister for Agriculture, Damien O'Connor. The export of livestock from New Zealand uh, has been a feature of our farming systems for a long time. Uh, Changes were made in 2008 to halt the export of livestock for slaughter. Uh, Since that time, there has been a steady flow of exports for breeding purposes. But concerns about the risk to New Zealand's reputation from this trade have been steadily increasing. Uh, We began the 2019 Livestock Export Review uh, to look at what options were available to address the risks to our reputation. We received a lot of feedback uh, from that review, including from our independent National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee, who recommended the trade stop. The tragic sinking of the Gulf Livestock One ship in 2020 uh, brought the dangers to a head, and we introduced a temporary ban on livestock exports, while the Heron Review recommended improvements uh, to our system. Although many of these have been implemented, there remains an ongoing level of concern uh, with the welfare of these animals while at sea for up to three weeks. Over recent years, we have seen some of the reports from these ships, many of which are not designed for live exports, uh, where conditions on board have led to many adverse animal welfare outcomes. The fact is that once animals leave New Zealand by sea, we have very limited ability to ensure their well-being before they reach their destination. That's why this morning we're announcing that the export of livestock by sea will cease following transition period of up to two years. New Zealand Minister for Agriculture, Damien O'Connor. Wayne Langford is chair of the New Zealand Federated Farmers Dairy Industry Group. He says the announcement caught dairy farmers by surprise. That is what it is now, and and we'll work for it, see what it means for us. So the live export trade was under review, uh, and it had been suspended last year after the, the, the sinking of Gulf Livestock One. Despite that, had you been hoping that the, the trade would continue? I don't, I don't necessarily know about hoping, but probably um, just expecting that it was because really we, we hadn't really seen any any reason for it not to, and nothing pop up, and certainly nothing that had come through federal farmers' uh, ranks. So. Wayne Langford from the New Zealand Federated Farmers Dairy Industry Group. Emma Higgins is a dairy analyst with Rabobank. She says the impending LiveX ban represents a great opportunity for Australian dairy farmers. Yeah, absolutely. So across the course of 2020, we saw you know over 90,000 heifers exported, which is a huge jump compared to where we've been in in previous years. And a lot of that comes back to the fact that China's on a bit of a growth spree when it comes to expanding their dairy herd. And we've seen New Zealand really look to fulfil um, a major part in terms of helping to, to build that herd up. But, you know, Australia historically has played 
you know, quite a key position in terms of supplying heifers as well. And so I guess that's the good news for Australian exporters and, and, you know, dairy producers as well, is that there is an opportunity there, perhaps for some farmers to fill the gap that New Zealand will will leave when they exit this industry. Uh, So I guess, Emma, to put the opportunity for Australian dairy farmers in perspective, if if New Zealand dairy farmers exported, I think, around that 90,000 head of dairy heifers last year, how many dairy heifers did Australian farmers export? Yes, yeah, so last year Australian dairy farmers exported around 71,000 heifers, so certainly a little bit less than what we shipped last year. But the reality is that Australia has often shipped much more than New Zealand. For example, in 2019, Australian exporters shipped double what New Zealand exporters did. So in 2019, they shipped 89,000, whereas in New Zealand, we just shipped 40,000. So the reality is that Australia really has played that prime role and going forward, there's a lot of opportunity for exporters, we think, um, providing that the, the stock is available. So just finally, it looks like maybe there had been starting to be a shift toward New Zealand, but now that's, uh, I guess you'd assume, going to come back to Australia. That's right. So there is that two-year transitional period, and at this point in time, the, the finer dates of when we're going to stop exporting are still to be decided. Um, but at this point in time, we know that there's a period of up to two years where New Zealand can continue before handing over effectively to other countries and, and possibly Australia. Rabobank Dairy Analyst Emma Higgins with Angus Furley. This through on the text, glad our government isn't as stupid as that of New Zealand. Do they only care about their own animals? These customer countries will get their products from other places with probably worse standards. Well, groups opposed to the livestock export trade here in Australia are applauding the New Zealand government's decision to phase out the trade. This is Jenny Brown from Townsville Against Live Export. There's groups all throughout the world campaigning for an inter-live export. The EU, South Africa, there's an organisation working to end it in the UK. There is growing opposition Does this decision by the New Zealand government reinvigorate the anti-live export movement, in your opinion? Oh, I think so, because I've already had emails from PETA, the the organisation, asking people to send um, emails, I think it is, to our minister, and from Animals Australia, asking people to email to Cinta Ardern and congratulate her. And that is anti-live export activist Jenny Brown with Tom Major. Agriculture Minister David Littleproud says Australia has no plans to suspend or ban live animal exports. He says the federal government is confident in its standards, regulations and laws to ensure high standards of animal welfare for livestock exports. This is the Country Hour and it is five to one. Hello, I'm Sally Sara. Join me for The World Today. The Australian Medical Association speaks out about mass vaccination hubs as the national vaccine rollout stalls. Flying high, airlines say that domestic passenger numbers have beaten expectations. And disability advocates are cautiously optimistic as the government shelves a controversial plan for the NDIS. 
Those stories are more from across the country and around the globe coming up this lunchtime on The World Today. Four minutes to one, four minutes away from the news at one and then The World Today. To the markets now and demand was strong for cattle on offer at Mount Barker this morning. 1,233 head of cattle were sold, so a pretty similar size yarding to last week's. Tracy Kilner's at the sale yards. Tracy, can you run through the details? All categories gained again with only lightweight calves easing on quality. Heavy cows remained firm, selling to 348 cents, while store cows gained 15 cents a kilo. Lightweight steer weaners sold to a top of 568 cents, while a quality line of Angus heifers to restockers sold up to 558 cents a kilo. Weaner steers weighing over 330 kilos made from 426 to 538 cents. Medium weights sold from 498 to 554 cents, and the lightweight weaner steers returned 466 to 568 cents a kilo. Wiener heifers weighing over 330 kilos made from 410 to 558 cents. Medium weights sold for 448 to 486 cents and the lightweights returned 420 to 482 cents a kilo. Yearling steers sold from 400 to 532 cents while the yearling heifers gained returning 358 to 460 cents a kilo. Bullocks weighing over 500 kilos made from 350 to 400 cents. Lighter weights returned 376 to 448 cents a kilo. Grown heifers weighing over 540 kilos made from 320 to 360 cents and the lighter trade weights sold from 300 to 440 cents a kilo. Heavy prime cows remained firm selling for 308 to 348 cents. Boners returned 180 to 280 cents while the feeder buyers picked up cows for 276 cents a kilo. Heavy bulls sold for 260 to 310 cents. Medium weights made 370 cents and the lightweight bullies returned from 300 to 494 cents to average 438 cents a kilo. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Tracy, thank you for going through the details today at Mount Barker, the cattle market today. 1,233 head of cattle going under the hammer. A couple of minutes to one here on the Country Hour. And earlier in the hour, you heard from the Margaret River Wine Association and it is just begging the state government to find a new quarantine hotel for a charter flight of seasonal workers from Tonga, which is due to arrive in Perth late next month. Now, that flight, one of them has been knocked back already. Uh, that's a flight of Ni Vanuatu workers, which was bound for Perth on the 7th of May. The reason is there's not enough hotel quarantine room for these workers on that flight because of all the Australians returning home from overseas. So this is a blow for not only horticulture in the southwest of the state, but in the north of the state too. David Menzel, who's the president of the Shire of Wyndham and East Kimberley, was saying it couldn't have come at a worse time with everyone just gearing up for, well, the peak time, not only in horticulture, but also in tourism. And they really need to have access to these seasonal workers. And really, the government here needs to make that decision by Monday, the 19th of April, if that second charter flight is going to come in. In response to that, on the text, what's going on with the WA government? We've had COVID for over a year and our hospitals are overflowing with no cases. We've had labour shortages for over a year and when a solution is found, they knock it on the head because of their incompetence. What has to happen before they're held to account, says Andrew?
Andrew. This, I bet there's more than 200 people on welfare that are quite capable of doing the work. What happened to work for the doll? Australians need to pull their heads in. There's unemployment in the Kimberley, yet we need to bring in foreign seasonal workers. Pathetic. And this from Tom. Regarding getting fuel from areas with no power, how will a cashless society work when the power goes? We will be completely buggered, says Tom. One o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.